Welcome, and thank you for joining the Society for Clinical Research Sites for SCRS Talks. I'm Jimmy Bechtel, the Vice President of Site Engagement with SCRS. SCRS Talks allows our partners and those that we work closely with to take a few minutes to address issues of industry concern, share exciting achievements, and to learn more about our community. Today, we have Brandon Doyle, the Associate Director of Site Alliances and an SME in the Global Site Diversity Strategy Area at ParXL and a co-founder of the SGM Alliance, and Garo Kilegen, Chief Operating Officer at Triologic and the co-founder and CEO of the SGM Alliance as well. It's great to have both of you talking with us today about some of the challenges and solutions for the LGBTQIA community particularly in the space of clinical trials. Brandon, I'd love to start with you and get a little bit more background and introduction from you. Thanks, Jimmy. No, this is very exciting. We're talking about the LGBTQIA issues that face our community. Um, so I'm Brandon Doyle. I'm with ParXL. I have been part of the SCRS Diversity Planning um, Committee for the last four years. I'm also their chair of the DSAT. Um, which looks at how to give access to clinical trials to different diverse um, populations. And this is kind of even why I'm here. There's missing parts to our diversity tools and what, what it means to be diverse. And one of the areas that I've recently focused on with the help of GARO is the LGBTQIA community that I identify with. Thanks, Brandon. And GARO, would love to learn a little bit more about you as well. Hi everyone, I'm Garo Pilegin. Um, I'm the CEO of Triologic and as Jimmy said, the CEO and founder of SGM Alliance. Um, I've been working in the healthcare community for a while uh, and I've been working specifically in the LGBTQIA community for over a decade. Um, I'm also uh, involved with the, L the National LGBT Task Force. I'm on their executive committee and I'm really passionate about intersectionality between race, ethnicity, and gender and sexual minority groups. Thank you for having me. Excellent, it's really great to have you both here again and excited to talk about this discussion as well. Um, as uh, hopefully most of those listening can recall or have learned, Garo and Brandon recently hosted a topic at the SCRS Diversity Summit, one of our hot topic panels on the unique challenges facing our uh, our community here in the LGBTQIA+, designed really to shed light on some of the antiquated and discriminatory exclusion criteria that plague this community uh, that they're subject to as a result of our clinical trial protocols. It really does end up preventing them from receiving a lot of the health care that they deserve and that they need. But uh, Brandon, I'll start with you to, to kick off our discussion here. What are some of the potential consequences that we as a clinical research community and, and medicine in general can see as we exclude this community from our clinical trials? Yeah, no, these are great questions. Um, so basically, I'm going to appeal first to the CROs and sponsors and those recruiting, recruiting out there. Um, we know that it's very difficult to get a patient in. Um, we talk a lot about inclusion and how to make people feel belonging. And the LGBTQIA community comprises of 10% of the population. So that's a very large percent of people who identify. And it's a community that's very educated. They're very educated in clinical trials. They're very willing to do modern Western science. Um, it's a community that has seen 
Um, like in my era, I have seen the AIDS epidemic. Um, and even more recently with that, um, the clinical trials that led to PrEP, which is prevents HIV. And so our community has seen a lot of medical advances, even going through monkeypox in the last year, and we're still going through this. So I really want to appeal to people that it's, it's a very highly educated and motivated group. So really, if we're not talking about them and their needs, we're missing this group that, is, that wants to be in clinical trials. Absolutely. Uh, some great points there, Brandon. Garo, did you have anything to add about some of your perception of the consequences that this community can face? I do. I do. And thank you for that, Jimmy. Um, well, what this really boils down to is disregarding a person. It, it shouldn't be about, I mean, it should be about creating equity and fair and equal access to SGM. When I say SGM, I'm, I'm referring to sexual and gender minority groups. So, um, we are doing a, a disservice to not only patients, but to ourselves. From another lens, uh, there's a significant population of people who are in a low socioeconomic status, whether it's LGBT folk who experience homelessness from coming out, or those who are unemployed because of employment discrimination. A clinical trial is an option for these folks who then have the ability to get access to care and simultaneously get paid from enrolling in a trial. Garo, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off here, but you bring an excellent point, and we've talked about this before. So in clinical trials, we keep saying that we're this continuum of a healthcare, right? Um, so if we're we're excluding this this group, even in our normal healthcare, how can we include them in clinical trials? Um, so that was just a really good good point. And then the other point I always want to make to the audience, because I'm sure Garo, you will too. As far as using the term LGBTQIA+, Garo and I have now moved over to SGM, which is Sexual and Gender Minority. Um, it might be a little easier. So if we use the acronym SGM, you know what we're referring to. Yeah, you know, uh, LGBTQIA+, I, we, we, we felt that, you know, for, for the heteronormative community, SGM it becomes something that's easier to digest. Um, also, it's more inclusive and more, um, you know, all-encompassing by, by using SGM. It's being used in academia. It's being used in medicine. It's being used by the White House. So th that's why we're using that term, you know, to make it easier on folks. Yeah. And then, Jimmy, to get back to your question, too, one of the things I did want to bring up where, you know, this is a big issue. You know, I used to work for Memorial Sloan Kettering in cancer trials. And for a lot of people, they fail out of the first line, second line. Um, so some clinical trials are could be life-saving. I mean, they're they're kind of like this this big hope that a patient has. So let's say I'm in a clinic, I have cancer, I've failed out, and I'm now being there's a potential that I could be on a trial. I I fit in every aspect, but I'm on prep and HIV medication. I'm now excluded. So. It, it is kind of a disregard for, for life it, when it doesn't make scientific sense. It's a great way to start things off. I think it's really important for the community to understand even just those couple of examples. I, I recognize that the, the SGM community can be uh, we could we could talk all day about consequences that this SGM community can uh, unfortunately be subject to as a result of our current clinical trial execution process. So thank you for uh, highlighting a couple of those, which brings me to my next question around highlighting some other things. But uh, we we talked about the consequences, but let's talk about some of those antiquated practices that have been in place for 
for a long time that have contributed to the marginalization and exclusion of this SGM community in clinical trials. But also then, uh, you know, Garo, I'll start with you from your perception here. Uh, not only those practices that you're observing that you're, the community you're so connected to sees, but how can we work then towards dismantling or, or changing some of those practices? Jimmy, I'm happy to answer that, but uh, one thing I want to disclose before I do, uh, I want to preface it by saying, you know, as as a gay man myself, it's very hard not to feel like the only trials that target me are HIV and SCD trials. And we're talking about, you know, the gonorrhea, the chlamydia, you know, the HPV. Um, but that's not all that makes up my healthcare, right? So saying that now now I'll I'll work my way into talking about what I'm seeing and what I've been seeing for the past uh for 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 several years now many protocols have prejudiced language in the exclusionary criteria back in the day I'm talking like 10 years ago or more what we used to see was if you were a male having sex with another male you could enroll in a trial nowadays the language that's commonly seen specifically excludes HIV medication. So this is really specific and important because it unfairly disregards a significant population from the community because it not only excludes HIV positive people, but also HIV negative folks. When Truvada first came out, it was meant to treat HIV. We ended up finding out that it could also be used towards HIV prevention. That's where PrEP came from, right? Um, PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. And I remember how divided the community was before PrEP. Brandon, you may too. Remember how, you know, it was just, it was HIV positive folks and HIV negative folks. And, yeah, um, no, definitely. I mean, this is this is a huge part. If you're part of this community, just to know what this what these medications can do for a community before, like Garo said, I mean, a lot of us lived in fear of of getting HIV. That was almost talking about stigmatization. I remember when I came out to my grandma and my my parents, the first thing they said was, oh, my God, are, be careful. You're going to get HIV. Um, so, you know, with with the use in clinical trials and and like Garo said, it's really important. So if we're working towards solution, talking about the stigmatization of like, so, yes, we need clinical trials that focus on STDs, STIs. For sure, we need to engage the gay community, the SGM community, because they're at high risk. But to but to stigmatize it the, as the, we're the only people that can carry these diseases, that's very dangerous. Um, it's and like Garo said to his point, it's kind of pitted us together. And luckily, we did come up with prep, where now people we're not talking so much about whether a person is HIV or not HIV, but whether we're taking. Um, medications to protect ourselves from transmitting. I agree. And I mean, just to add to that, you know, it's important to understand the the psychology of, of the, the community. Using myself as an example, I remember every single time I had to go into the clinic and get an SCD panel and, and, and wait for the results and sit in fear only, you know, just just to get the results back, you know. I feel like there was this this un, unsaid, agreed, uh, you know, thought pattern that like it's only a matter of time before we get HIV. 
when when prep came out it was so revolutionary i i, I remember all my friends you know in you know la new york uh, miami like we were it was so life-changing and we uh, all of us we, we 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 went on prep right away so when uh trial excludes hiv drugs you know this big spectrum uh you know of patients are being excluded hiv positive and, and hiv negative so so garo you're exactly right um you know so this brings us to this question what can we do to address this um and for those of you who weren't there at the diversity conference in austin Gar and I had this workshop. We had the, a breakout where we let people critically think for themselves, and we presented this question of people being excluded for taking an HIV medication. Um, and I was amazed. I was so impressed with the audience. They came up on their own that we need to set parameters that are scientifically based. So this would, in, and so instead we should have, you know, people who have a CD4 count higher than 500 or that are undetectable. This makes more sense. Um, and and we need to change the language. So I don't know where our industry was. I think we're here on this podcast, Garo and I, and we even started this SGM Alliance so that people are aware of this and that we don't become complacent with some of this antiquated language. And we truly do think, okay, what is the scientific reason for exclusion and what is not? So with this particular one, this is, is not scientifically based and we need to rethink it. Yeah, let me jump in too. Um, so sometimes, it does scientifically make sense, right? Um, exclusion criteria is there for a reason, and we're ultimately we're responsible for the patient's lives. You know, like if there's an adverse event that that happens. So in some cases, it there is scientific justification. Like biologics, for instance, they interfere with HIV. But but to Brandon's point, um, and you know, I was astonished as well whenever I saw. CROs and sponsors sitting together brainstorming and Brandon and I and Jessica who was also the third panelist we were there we actually knew exactly what we wanted the sponsors to find you know we wanted to hear them say you know if a patient is undetectable like like Brandon saying if a patient's undetectable and their CD4 counts are above 500 could we set parameters to allow them to enroll and the answer to that question is yes and so um, it was amazing to see sponsors figure that out, but, you know, just to take it another step further, you know, like uh, that's specific to uh, HIV positive and negative patients, but what about transgender patients? You know, there, there, uh, there were examples where we discussed protocols coming to us where a uh, sponsor is asking to work with the transgender community, but yet the protocol that's being presented excludes gender affirming care. So those that's the type of discussion that took place that day with regards to protocol design. But then we also um, had two other groups. Yeah, like, Garth was a great segue because you're right. The other board, you know, speaking of of um, using hormone replacement therapy and gender affirming is is the use of we constantly are using language that is male, female, you know, masculine, feminine. And there's a lot of people out there that that do not identify that way. We really have to use more neutral language. And the importance of that is, is, I mean, these are your patients. One, you want them to feel comfortable. You want them to be seen as a human, um, especially in the healthcare setting. You want, you want someone to tell you the truth and what's going on. Well, the first thing you can do is just start using, like I said, get rid of this gender specific language, be neutral, 
Um, I, this isn't just our industry. This is all industries, but it's something super easy to do. And if you're a clinic, I know it's not being required that you ask this, but I can tell you what, just asking a couple questions and letting people self-identify what their gender and sexual uh, sex are, um, it, it will make a difference in a person's life. I agree. You are literally paving and, and creating a space for the community to exist, you know, um, like this isn't only clinical research and it's, it, you know, Brandon just said it, it's, you know, it's in every industry, but if, if we were to, uh, you know, break clinical research away or, or piece it together with the bigger healthcare industry as a whole, um, let's take patient registration forms as one prime example. A lot of people, a lot of folks in different parts of this country will go into their local community healthcare centers and very basic, a patient registration form only has male or female, you know? It's not welcoming, it's not inviting. We, we now know there's more than one category to uh, self-identify your gender. So why not start off with, with that, with, with the patient registration forms? Because, you know, if it was me, uh, you know, I feel like right off the bat, I'm not being welcomed into the clinic when there isn't a space for me to exist. So this was self-identification was, uh, was a second category in itself. Um, and then the third category we co covered was stigma. And we went through several uh, case studies where we gave uh, attendees uh, that attended the breakout panel, um, several case studies. Uh, but one of them that sticks out the most to me right now in my brain is, um, it was it was an example of a patient who went into the doctor's office complaining about chest pain. And what does this doctor do? This doctor uh, misgenders the patient first off, um, and then misdiagnoses the patient with anxiety, sends them off to a psychiatrist with anxiety medication, only to find out that the patient had a large tumor growing inside their chest. I'm, I'm pausing because I, I really want that to sink in. This is an example of some of the realities that LGBTQIA folks face every single day in healthcare. Uh, and you know, another form of stigmatization that I I like to point out is is just and Garo covered it a little bit, but it's the fact that you know we're given all the trials that do seem to go towards SGM are these STDs, STIs, um, even in commercials. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, Bictarvi, it was playing over and over and every single actor in the announcement was a black person. And I remember sitting there and one night my husband, he asked me, he goes, Brandon, is that medication only work for black people? And I laughed, I thought it was kind of a joke. And then I was like, wait, he's serious. Because, and I was looking at the commercial, I'm like, wow, every single actor is a black person. And I understand that that was a target audience, that there is a higher incidence of HIV in the black community. But once again, we really have to play this balance. So if, if we know that, let's say, you know, anal cancer, STDs, STIs, all these things that might be at higher risk for the gay community, we can't just portray it like that's the only thing we have. We're not walking STDs. So this is also where I hope we drive this point home later, but CROs and sponsors, we really need to have clinical trials 
that that are given to the, to our population that cover everything because I'm much more than a, a, a an STD probability. I, I have other health concerns. Yeah, it, it reminds me of the T-shirt we wore that day at the at the you know the large panel. The first one we did, uh, the front of our T-shirts that Brandon and I were wearing said uh, "Stop the copy and paste." The psychology behind that was. I've had sponsors approach me and admittedly say that, you know, this there, there is an outdated practice where medical underwriters are copy and pasting old, outdated exclusionary criteria, like the ones that we just talked about, right? Like excluding HIV um, medication. Um, so we wore that in the front of our T-shirts, but in the back, uh, we, we wrote, you know, STDs are not my only health concern. And I, I, I like... If there's one big takeaway from you know from from this podcast, uh, and same same thing with with the panel that we did, it's it's that it's it's we really feel like we're we're being targeted. Uh, I mean, the only the the only trials that target us are STDs, you know, and so uh, again, I, I can't stress it enough. It's it's not the only thing that makes up who I am. You know, uh, or, you know, like if if my partner or I happen to get diabetes or or God forbid we get cancer, we should be allowed to enroll in a clinical trial. And today we can't. The only trials that we could enroll in are um, HIV trials and STD trials. So. Huge issue there. A lot of really powerful points, guys, and I, I truly appreciate the perspective and, and honing in on some of those key issues and uh, even more so supporting them with uh, real life examples. So so thank you there. But I want to I want to talk a little bit now about the ways that healthcare and the pharmaceutical industry can collaborate with our our minority community leaders and organizations to ensure that there's quality and equitable representation in our clinical trials. What are some of those strategies, Brandon, I'll start with you, to engage more with our diverse communities here across really all of our therapeutic indications, not just um, some of the specific ones you all mentioned in your last example? Um, yeah, no, great, great, great question. Um, so actually, Garo and I, this is how we connected in the first place. So as a CRO, my job is to look at sites and clinics that have access to underserved populations. And um, Garo is actually the uh, COO of Triologic, which has a very large reach to this community. Um, and that's how I started working with him. Um, and it's, it's networks like this. If we look around, there are networks already that exist that, that tailor towards the needs of, of the community. And, and other places, I'm just going to say, because this is really a, a grassroots thing, just like with COVID, um, you know, Every city has some kind of public health community clinic or a nonprofit community healthcare setting. Um, so you can engage them. A lot of these are nonprofit. They would be very, they would be very happy to speak with any of us. Um, and there is actually a lot out there. And that's one of the reasons I'll let Garo say a little bit more. But one of the reasons why Garo and I, we co-founded this sexual and gender minority alliance group is we want to bridge this information. Um, by no means will we be the only source, but we want to do that for our industry. We realize that it's lacking, um, that a lot of people don't know about it. Um, so we, we did create this alliance to be a resource 
and and help people um, get the right the right connection. Thank you for that, Brandon. Yeah, I mean, um, Trilogic focuses on the LGBTQIA community, and uh, we are one of the largest networks. Uh, we, you know, we're we're in five continents and forty five countries, but we're not the only ones, right? There are so many other LGBT uh, community centers uh, in, especially in the big cities in New York, LA, and Miami. Um, so tapping into like what can sponsors and CROs do is tap into some of those centers, tap into Trilogic, tap into, um, you know, any, any resources. Yeah, no, Garo, you're on the right track with, um, I, hopefully you don't mind me just going there, but you reminded me of something. Cause I mean, it's the same in Chicago. So when Garo talks about tapping into these resources, they're already doing a lot of this work. So if you went in, if you look at the cities, a lot of them do housing projects, food banks, um, resale stuff. I know here in Chicago, we have a so our largest community health clinic, Howard Brown, that actually caters towards the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, they have a resale thing that was started in the it was started in the 80s at the height of the AIDS epidemic. Um, and at the time, people were very afraid to have when someone was living with HIV or past of AIDS. Um, the public was very afraid of these items, thinking that they could contract HIV themselves. Um, so Brown Elephant started, and they resold these items, and the profits went to other patients who were living with HIV. Um, there's plenty of amazing stories like that in different cities. And so they're already, they're already engaged in the community, so I'm sure they would be happy to have other people helping them. You know, that story uh, always gives me goosebumps uh, um, because it, it's any of these LGBT clinics that you tap into, like Brandon said, they're already they're already doing the work. And so it's just so meaningful and special to to come across any of these groups because they're all active. They're all activists and all and, and almost all of them that I've come across are doing more. They're doing extra um more than most other healthcare centers do. What else, what, what other strategies can, can we do across the community? Well, um, I'm gonna pick on sponsors and CROs. Uh, you know, uh, one thing that they can do, uh, a sponsor or CRO can do is uh, picking one of these clinics and networks and, and, and starting with doing their part. Um, and their part being like, could we create equity right like let, let's just say uh you know let's start off with a non-hiv or an std trial let's start off with like nash or diabetes or obesity can can each sponsor pick out uh, a therapeutic area that is non-hiv non-std and help these sites with equity whether it means um, helping the sites build the capabilities in place to, to run NASH trials. Like, let's say they need FibroScan on site, or let's say they need to get contracted with a local imaging facility. Could there be uh, different steps they can take to begin building this bridge? Yeah, and no, Garo, I, I love, love, love this as a solution because this will help with so many of the issues that we're bringing. So if CROs and sponsors, we sit there and we engage in these places, these community clinics or places that already embedded the communities. I mean, one, giving a non-STD, like Garo said, or um, trial, 
that will help with the stigmatization when that was one of our biggest complaints when we first started and how how we felt as as people in this community. So it would help there. The other thing is it would bring money into that clinic, which actually serves that community. Most of these, like I said, are nonprofit. So that money goes right back to the clinic, goes right back to the community. Um, so there's and then the other thing, like I mentioned in the beginning, too, is that this is a, an educated group of individuals that. I mean, we lined up for the monkeypox vaccine when when that happened. Oh, my gosh. I tried. I remember trying to get a monkeypox vaccine. And I swear the entire community had just gone out and the streets were flooded with people just begging for it. So it's it, it is a community that is is not afraid to be in a clinical trial. And I guess one last uh, last note to mention, uh, just to go back to SGM Alliance. Um, having sponsors, CROs, or even um, sites reaching out to SGM Alliance to finding out how they can get involved. Because right now we're in our development stages and there's a variety of different projects that we are building out. And um, just having uh, sponsors and CROs, uh, sites, and anyone in the industry involved uh, would really help uh, develop and build out uh, this, you know, I want to call it like an infrastructure that we're going to put in place so that uh, we can begin tackling the various issues that we've talked all about on, on this podcast today. Thank you, guys. Some wonderful examples of them, some things that can be done across our community to help, Brandon, as you said, a very engaged uh, group of individuals, people that are willing to participate in clinical trials and uh, in majority, I would agree with you, believe in in the science and, and what we're doing here. They know that um, members of their, their community and their family are better because of the advancements of uh, clinical trials and the, the, the institution of medicine. So thank you for sharing, again, those great points and ways for our community leaders to engage with the pharmaceutical industry and healthcare, and of course, vice versa. So how then can researchers and our industry stakeholders actively address some of the unconscious biases that you all have even mentioned and brought up during this discussion and create inclusive protocols to increase the participation of the uh, SGM community and the individuals in our clinical studies? Brandon, I'll start with you again. All right. No, and this brings us back to those diversity leaders that we're talking about. It brings us back to, I mean, not to say that we'll be all things to all people, but it's the reason why Garo and I co-founded SGM Alliance. We we want to be that resource. We want you to come to us. There's other, all these other places that we mentioned, they want you to go to them. These are excellent resources. They could look at your protocol. They could give their advice to help you you know, basically use the neutral language that we're talking about to look over to make sure that we're not excluding when we shouldn't be excluding. Um, so please look to us. I invite anyone, reach out to Garo, myself, we'll help you be a resource. Um, and we're looking for people who are, are not just a part of the, the SGM, part of the alliance is also people who are just allies. This is how we create change, right? It can't just be a small minority group. We need we need other people to believe in this cause to move it forward. Yeah, allies are are very important, and and I uh, I'm gonna guess that it's probably we're probably gonna need the allies uh, to help jumpstart this process with developing SGM Alliance. But I mean, other ways uh, are with hiring LGBT folks. 
you know, not only from the top, top down, but from the bottom up, um, representation matters, right? And so there's certain nuances in the community that only an SGM person uh, would be able to understand. Yeah, no, it's true. Because, you know, when you talk about representation, it, you know, it's more than just a person checking a box and trying to be diverse, right? I mean, so if you create this culture that's inclusive and your workforce is basically comprised of of every walk of life, well, then someone, let's say just for my community, if I see something that's at an imbalance or that's unjust, I'm going to speak out. In fact, that's how this whole panel even started is Garo and I basically said enough is enough. We, we need to change this. It's 2023. This is ridiculous. Absolutely guys. I, I couldn't agree more with you. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughtful insights, your valuable tips, best practices and information for this community. I know for a lot that came up to SCRS after this conference, the resounding message was, wow, I hadn't thought of that before. And they were almost embarrassed to say so, which is understandable um, because we see a lot of that with not only this SGM community, LGBTQIA plus community, but other discriminated against minority communities that are in existence. You don't know what you don't know, and you don't really recognize and realize that these things are having an effect on this community until you hear powerful voices like yourselves share the effects that they're having on this community. So I'd like to end us with just any other final key takeaways from that breakout discussion that you'd like to share um, before we again conclude our discussion today. Garl, why I don't guess, we start with you? Well, one other thing that I found very interesting was uh, I, I, I remember mentioning how it's 2023 and, you know, as a gay man, I can't donate blood. Um, and I can't donate sperm. And, um, you know, I know it's a little silly to mention the two, but, um, you know, I right after the panel ended, I had several doctors uh, approach me and say, Garo, I didn't believe you. I had to Google it. And, and you're right. You, you, you can't donate blood. Um, luckily, a few weeks ago, the FDA uh, made an announcement and, and they recently made a change, which is a huge deal which allows patients who are HIV negative and not on PrEP to be able to donate blood. Um, so definitely, um, you know, we're taking steps in a positive direction, but of course, there's still a lot of room for growth because there, there's, there's still others in the community that still can't donate blood. So. Yeah, and I guess for me, the big takeaway was just that, um, you know, our minds together, whether you're part of this community or you're just an ally, it, that's where real solutions came. Um, at all those whiteboards, when people came together and gave their ideas, they came up with things that, like I said, I, even me being in the community, I didn't think of. Um, so this this is something that we need. We need everyone that cares about this to be a part of. And like I said, that's why Garo and I, we co-founded this SGM Alliance. Um, we will be opening up because part of the thing is we do want to do some advocacy to try to help some of these discriminatory practices that we face. Um, and we need other people's opinions. We need you to be a part of this. So if anyone does have interest, please reach out to us um, because I, I know together we're just going to come up with better solutions. There's power in the numbers. So please reach out to us. 
Great. Great, you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you for those, again, strong messages and uh, the willingness to be part of this and to have these kinds of conversations and raise awareness about these issues that this community, as well as so many other communities that conversations like this can be applicable to. So again, thank you for being here with us, Brandon. Thank you, Garo, for both lending your knowledge and uh, experience and sharing some insights from that session. Thank you so much for giving us the microphone to get our message out. For everyone listening, make sure that you register for our upcoming summits to have more great conversations like this one being held throughout the year by visiting our summit page. While you're on our website, myscrs.org, be sure to check out other SCRS publications built for our community in the publication section. We appreciate everyone's participation in today's program and look forward to having you join us for more great content in the future. Thanks for listening.